This episode is powered by denmeditation.com with locations in Los Angeles that normalize meditation and make it available to all. Though meditation is the primary focus, the bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, your host and founder of Den Meditation. I'm really happy to be sitting with Shannon Algio, who is the host of the very successful Soul Feed Podcast, where he's interviewed the likes of Marianne Williamson and Deepak Chopra. He's a yoga and meditation teacher, a speaker, and a life coach. He was named one of the nicest instructors in New York City by Rate Your Burn, and his coaching intuition has been called a gift to the well-being community. He was also invited to speak at the United Nations Association for the Yoga and UN Culture of Peace, and just has so much to share with us. He's not only an incredible teacher, but a constant student as well. We discovered that we're both obsessed with the truth. As he says, he's become a disruptor. He's ready to call out anyone and anything in society when the truth isn't being revealed. We talk about what truth actually is, how and why we lie to ourselves, and how does it physically feel when you're ignoring your truth. We chat a lot about his religious upbringing and how he doesn't reject it at all. If anything, he realizes that it helped him be more open to believing that there's something more. Also, the process of prayer actually was the beginning of his meditation journey. He gives some amazing pointers on what to do when you're feeling really low, like everything's falling apart and nobody's going to understand what you're going through. He tells us how you can actually start taking the steps to come out of that and trust that there's more. He's very open about how he himself has been working on his anger and what that looks like for him. Shannon has a ton of innate and learned wisdom, and he vulnerably shares a lot of it. We jump right into this episode, so if it feels weird in the beginning, that's why. He and I just kept talking from the minute we sat down, and it was easier to just start recording. Don't forget at the end, he's always going to lead us in a personal practice. He'll be guiding us through a 10-minute energy-centering meditation to help you find your center through exploring all the different directions around your body. Shannon Algio, Irish name, mm-hmm. and you said you were just in Ireland. Yep. I was there uh, for 15 days. 15 days. And it was the first time you were there. Both his parents are Irish. Mm-hmm. My dad's first generation born in the U.S., so both of my grandparents are from Ireland, both of my dad's parents. My mom's parents are mostly Irish, but they were born in the U.S. And so when you went there, was it like a weird coming home feeling or no? Uh, yes. Yeah, there, there were culturally many, uh, like the Irish people are so, uh, generally speaking, of course, very, um, like, like they tend to make themselves small, like in, in a very generous way, like, like selfless. Yeah. And, and it reminded me very much of my family, my dad's family, my oh, cousins, sweet. that sort of like selflessness and, and, it, and very, very generous, generous with attention, generous with resources, generous with like rides, picking up from train stations and stuff like that. So Amazing. I was like, oh, this is like, I, this feels very familiar. And it's also so American to be like, like, like the more assertive and to have like, uh, more of a um like your presence known yeah like yeah it's it, it made me realize how american it is to be like i'm gonna be someone right that's interesting it, it's interesting ireland did feel like it was more of a system like i am of service to a company or i'm service to a system that already exists huh. whereas in the u.s it's like i'm gonna be an entrepreneur and start my own business and start my own company there's a lot of you know, that, that chasing of the American And do you think American that's part dream. of like lineage and spirituality or do you think that's part of 
the fact that or the system that's in place in both places? I, it's probably a combination of both. I when I went to I went to Belfast, which is in which is in Northern Ireland, yep. and I taught uh, some yoga workshops up there at a new yoga studio, uh, Yoga Quarter. And when I was planning those workshops, the woman who does the planning for the international yogis visiting, the, uh, she used to live in LA for 20 years. And so she saw the yoga movement really, you know, taking off here and is now back in Ireland teaching yoga and facilitating uh, the yoga community growing there. And she said to okay. me, the yoga community in Belfast is like LA was 10 years ago in terms of like, uh, how popular it is, the students who are who are at the certain level of their practice. So it kind of feels like that spiritually. It feels like there's this, I mean, my restorative aromatherapy meditation on a Friday night was like totally packed and everyone was just there like sitting with their eyes wide open, so interested in learning about restorative aromatherapy and having a deep meditation experience. Amazing. So it's interesting is like religion is huge in Northern Ireland. Absolutely. There's like the whole Protestant Catholic wars that yeah. were going on not so long ago. So people have that religious background. And so I find from my experience, I went to Catholic school for 10 years. I know, I want to talk to you about all of this. So I, it makes sense to me based on my own experience that when you have a religious background, like in for me, Catholicism, like falling into yoga and spirituality makes sense. It's just like... So let's chat about that because I... Talk to me about the overlap for, I mean, for me too, by the way, but I think for some people, they look at religion and spirituality as opposites. So talk about how you feel like the overlap or how they do naturally flow. Well, my, I don't know where I got this, but my approach to receiving religion, you know, I took religion classes in school from kindergarten through eighth grade. So I had all these different religion teachers. And for me, my process was always to take, to take what works for me. Like, I, I always knew the truth about. But did you feel like you were different in that regard? I think on some level, it was supported by some of the teachers. Uh, that that connection to God and whatever God is, is personal. Like, you know, when we pray, yes, there's sometimes like prayers that we say as a collective, but there are, there's the intimate moment of prayer where you go inside of yourself and you talk to God or goddess or universal intelligence or whatever. And so I don't know, for me, when I would listen to religion teachers, like my seventh grade teacher said, dogs don't go to heaven. And I was like, that is not true. Did but, you say that in class? Or yeah, in we had head? a kind of like a, we were, we, you know, everyone was challenging her on it. And she was like, no, no, you know, the Bible says dogs, sorry, your dogs will not go to heaven. And I was like, this is fucking bullshit. Can I say these things? Yeah, oh. absolutely. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> okay, this girl great. curses way too much. <laughs> and so, so like that's an example of just like take from from religion, take what is true. And of course, there's not one truth, but there is your truth. And so that for me, when I got into high school, I started going to all these bar and bat mitzvahs because I got into theater in middle school. So it was actually in middle school, I would go to all my friends' bar and bat mitzvahs. And then in high school, I started going to Shabbos dinner with the Spatolniks. And I was like, this isn't challenging my Catholic religion. This is enhancing my religious experience. And then in high school, I went to public high school. I took a comparative religion class. And we studied Buddhism. And we, you know, we went to a synagogue. And we, we had a whole uh, section on Judaism. And we studied Christianity. And we got to, I studied Wiccan. We got to pick our Ooh. own uh, religion or system. And you picked Wiccan? I picked Wiccan. I love it. Yeah. And so that was like one of my favorite classes I've ever taken is 
comparative religion because the, there's truth in all of it, you know, and I... What and what truth did you feel like rose up for you in taking that from like Wiccan to Buddhism to all of it? What did you feel like you left with? Hmm. I, I feel like, I mean, there's so many different facets of what resonates. So I don't know if it's just like this one resonant truth, but I, I guess I would say um, this sense that there's no right or wrong but all of the religions have this common teaching of treat others as you want to be treated, that golden rule. Mm -hmm. uh, karma, you know, how you treat others will be how you are treated. And that, like, the point is love. The point is finding goodness in yourself and giving that goodness away and receiving that goodness back. Now, growing up, it sounds like you did have freedom of thought. So even in your family, did you have a big family or... I grew up in a, well, my immediate family is small. I have my mom and dad and my two siblings, but my dad has a huge Irish family. And my mom was lar largely estranged from her family. So it was really my dad's big Irish Catholic family. My, but my mom, it, my, I, I got a lot of this from my mom, this independent thinking, because my dad would take us to church. My mom would stay at home. Interesting. And she converted to Catholicism, but she was like not interested in going to church. And they were okay. They were a good couple and they were... Mm. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, they found their way there. They found their way there. They had a lot of... I learned a lot through my parents' marriage. I actually felt like from age seven to maybe 20, I was like my parents' marriage counselor. Uh, no. Like, did yeah. they come to you? Um, my mom is more the one, the energetically, she's more, you know, the attachment theory, there's like anxious attach attachment and there's avoidant mm -hmm. attachment and an anxious type and an avoidant type tend to attract to one another. So my dad is an avoidant type and my mom is an anxious type. And so my mom is like more like how I am, which is if there's a problem that comes up, like, let's deal with this, let's fix this right now. Yep. And so I very much resonate with that. So my mom wouldn't really be able to handle things with my dad because he was he would shut down. Um, and they've, you know, they've come a very long way, but this was the dynamic growing up. And so my mom would come to me. Uh, and she, you know, she has a history of of sexual abuse that she actually didn't start healing until her 40s after she had three kids. Wow. Uh, so it's interesting how our emotional maturity met at a certain level when when she was a very young girl when this when these things started happening to her. And when you go through sexual trauma, your emotional maturity gets kind of stuck in that. Yeah, they say it kind of stops around then. Yeah. And so I, I, I do feel that, that when I was around seven or eight, my mom and I met at a certain level. Uh, and I was able to like almost be a space for her to process, which like, you know, now I'm doing the work of realizing like that wasn't healthy and that was, and we needed more boundaries. But. Of course. But also, but interesting though. So you're t saying to me, you've always been a free thinker. You got it kind of from your mom. You were in Catholic. So the reason I'm like questioning this is because a lot of these things, people would be like, oh my God, I was in Catholic school. This is what I believed until this crazy thing happened to me when I was mm -hmm. in my 30s. Like you seem to have this ability of flowing, kind of connecting whether you understood what you were doing or not. Like whether you consciously understood what you were doing. Yeah. Do you feel like, and even with your mom, were you the type of kid who kind of always was a little more present or understood situations or had the ability to kind of see things from a different point of view? Yes. Like yeah. an old soul, for yeah, lack of that, a better word. That's what my parents' friends would always say to me. I, I would love, I'd be obsessed when they had like a cocktail party or like I'd have a, another 
couple over for dinner. I used to love that too. I love sneaking down and just like sitting there. Oh, I would get on the couch and they'd have like nuts to eat (laughs) and like cheese and crackers. And I would just be like, you know, they'd be drinking and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I get to listen to adults talk. And I would hear them and I would be like, okay, they're thinking about this in a really shitty way. Like the way they're thinking about this is going to lead them down the wrong road. Do you remember an example? Oh, gosh. I know. It's I, so long ago. It's so long ago. I, but, you know, it was, you know, something with work or someone that they, someone, someone that said something that hurt their feelings. I can't remember a specific example. But what I remember, this would happen. This happened many times. I would, I would just say something. I'd be like, well, you know what? Like, actually, if you look at it this way, and of course, I was eight, so it probably came out differently. And it would, I'd probably just like, like throw in a little sentence of, of wisdom, of clarity of, and they, everyone would be like, oh my (laughs) gosh, Shannon, you're so wise beyond your years. That's what everyone would always say to me. You're so wise beyond your years. And I remember I got a lot of like confidence from that. I was like, oh, I have something to offer like adults, like really big people who do real things. Yeah. So I kind of got this. I don't know, something about the way that I just naturally saw situations growing up was like this way that the world operates is not, doesn't make sense to me. And there's a, there's a better way to look at the situation. There's a better way to be in this situation. And it, I don't know how to describe it other than just to like, I don't know, like uh, thinking that something is uh, a hopeless cause makes it a hopeless cause. Yeah, it's like your thoughts, whatever energy you put behind your thoughts can actually create reality. Yeah, so when I would hear someone hopeless, I'd be like, well, your hopelessness is going to lead to a hopeless result. Like, I kind of knew that. Yeah. And so I'd want to kind of help someone get back on a hopeful path, even if I was seven and didn't know what the hell I was (laughs) actually doing. No, and and it's so interesting because now you're a life coach and that's like one of the things you probably do all the time. Do you feel like perspective shift is one of the things you work on the most? I mean, it's all about perspective and and shifting perspective because if you, I mean, well, I I should rephrase that. It's not all about perspective. It's not all about the mind. I, I also really know and experience that the issues are in our tissues. So there is like an embodied practice of healing but there's also, but also our minds have to allow us to show up for that yoga class or go to that meditation or do that type of healing work in the body. So if we, if we don't think healing is possible, then we will stop ourselves from being in the situations where we can actually heal. So, yeah. So, I mean, so all much of that. Of if the, you don't think happiness is possible, then happiness won't be possible. If, if you, you don't, don't think, think money is possible, money won't be possible. Yeah. It, so it's all. It's all what we allow ourselves to be open to in our minds. And uh, most of us are given some kind of framework or template of the way that the world is that's kind of like a cynical or hopeless or disempowering uh, narrative. And so the empowering thing about that is we get to reframe it and rewrite it if we, if we choose to. And what framework do you feel like you were given? Do you feel like your framework that you were given was a positive or a negative one and you were a, weirdly could see, a, if it was a negative, you could see above it or were you lucky to be given a different framework? Well, you know, like I, I grew up in a very passive aggressive household. <laughs> um, so I would see, I, I felt like I was at the middle of my parents' marriage because I needed them both, right? Like I needed them both to survive. <laughs> so I would see the dysfunction in their communication 
and I and I would I would kind of get insight to like my dad would say like well you know tell your mother this and my mom would be like well your father said you know needs to do this and I'd be like hmm I know what both of you want to say to one another <laughs> so perhaps I could facilitate the truth since you guys aren't coming together to do this work uh, now I didn't know but again like going back to the question there is something really interesting about you because someone else, uh, most people actually in that situation, it would be a negative framework. Like they would be taught like bickering, avoidance, um, non-appreciation. Like there's so many things from that that someone might take and then they'd have to be like you say, kind of reprogram and have the ability to kind of restructure how they're looking at the world. But you within the moment, even though you were really young and most people don't even have that like skill set yet, emotional skill set could already see, oh, no, no, if you guys like would just, I know what you need to communicate. I know what you want to communicate. You saw it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's fascinating that you, how, how were your siblings? Like, did they, were they the same way or? Uh, not, not exactly. I, I so be, because I was obsessed with the truth being known. So if my dad didn't know what my mom was thinking, I, I you know, I would like. So you've I always would, been obsessed with I truth. would be like a disruptor. Yeah. I would be like, I know the truth and I'm going to make sure everyone knows the truth because we need to deal with this. Right. So then, so I would become sort of like the problem because the solution was to just be quiet, be quiet, be passive aggressive. And I, and I would be like, so my, my sister, I'm like that a little bit in like my husband's family. I'm like the disruptor. <laughs> and so people just don't like me all the time. I'm like, I just like to say the truth. <laughs> I'm just kind of like starting to own the disruptor, uh, archetype or quality or character. Cause it's like, what are we disrupting? the status quo right which needs to be disrupted exactly <laughs> so i'm down it's like such a like weirdly negative thing but you're like wait isn't the fact that like no one's actually telling the truth the negative <laughs> right isn't that disruptive to yeah. the truth yeah we're on the same page i know i love it <laughs> um so my sister my sister well my sister younger is different than my sister now because she's been on a transformative path she you you can't fuck with her She's right. like she's like the boundaries queen. She's the first one in therapy. She's the first one telling us when we need to be in therapy. She's the one to bring us all into one therapy session together. And my brother is in his process too now. And he he's more default like my dad in terms of like kind of the shutdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he's I mean, but he, you know, he's amazing. And as is my dad, as as is my family is all very loving, like loves the fuck out of each other. Which is why boundaries have been so important for us because it's like we all love each other so much, but we we don't have very good boundaries. So it's like, what's mine and what's yours? And so the more of us that are in our own healing work, the uh, the more that we're able to be like, oh, like I'm, uh, you're you're triggered right now, and it might be that I said something that triggered you, but I didn't do anything wrong you're just feeling triggered by the way that i'm responding and acting so ireland was amazing because we got to test out all of our therapy work together <laughs> that is amazing and by the yeah. way i love one of the things you said when you first started talking about ireland is like everyone's kind of there for the part they're very kind they're very sweet and one of the things i love about you in your bio you say how you were voted like the nicest yoga teacher and i love that you put that in your bio it's like line two because some people would be like, okay, I'm the nicest. Who cares? Am I the best? Am I the strongest? Am I the most popular? But the fact that you're like, no, I'm the nicest. And that's like <laughs> what people should know. Mm. But I do think that says something. It goes a little bit back to like just the lineage of like you're talking about. It's just kindness is very, is high on 
what is expected and just how, I guess, people like in your family behave. Like you said, there's so much love. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And both of my parents are so extremely generous with, you know, how they help people and donate to people or, or they, the way that they're right. involved in the community. So that, that along with all the opportunities for healing was definitely a part of my template growing up is like, is, is, and, and that's kind of the great healing of my family is my parents really excelled at be good in the world. My, my dad's a judge. He's a retired judge now. He's in politics. My mom uh, grew up, her father was the vice admiral in the Navy. So people really in the world, really like out there and in the community and having an impact. So the great healing of my family has been that it's not just about what you present. It's about what happens when the doors close and you're just in your normal day to day and how you treat yourself and how you treat each other. And so it's in some ways, it's easier to be like the shining face that everyone thinks is so lovely and so nice, which is what my family presented outward. And it's really satisfying and fulfilling to actually become that family that uh, that you were putting out there that we're putting out there. Yeah, I mean, that's really because I think people struggle with that all the time. I mean, especially in the the world we live in, um, in the wellness world, I mean, there are a lot of people who sometimes you don't do the work. You don't do your own work that you're actually putting out there. And that's a problem because, A, it's, it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult to do the work all the time, but that's part of it. If you're not doing it, then how are you teaching it? Right, right. And it's like shiny objects. Like, it's fun to talk about the work that needs to be done. Right. It's a different experience to you're do that work yourself. Because then you're basically like a walking Instagram account all the time. Right. It's like, fine, make it all look amazing, every shiny and beautiful. But if it's not, if, if, if it's not there in texture and in every day, then you're actually, again, then I want to be a disruptor because I'm like, then you're false. Like to me, it, yeah. makes, it feels very false. Yes. And when you value the truth the way that you do and I do and so many people do, uh, when you value the truth and you're a teacher and you're out in the world and you know you're not practicing what, you're, what you preach, you, I, I, I feel very strongly, I've had this experience myself, where you almost like, can't keep going forward until you do the work to... It's like things aren't working out the way you need them to. Right. Do you have an example of like a time you felt like that in your own work? Yeah. I mean, I totally, going through my breakup uh, that happened when I moved to, to LA two years ago, like two, you know, one to two years ago was like the breakup period. <laughs> I was totally out of integrity with who I wanted to be in the world and what was going on in my relationship who I was being in my relationship. And so I had to, I mean, I still had to show up and I still had coaching clients. Thank God I had my work because I could at least uh, talk about what I believe in and who I want to be uh, and kind of come back to that again and again. But I was dealing with this great dichotomy of this like inner child Shannon that felt so betrayed and so alone and so uh, broken. And then this Shannon that I had created in the world that had this like podcast that, you know, people admired and, you know, teaching and, and being this like whole person who inspires and motivates people. And I, and I was like seeing my shadow and my light and seeing the stark contrast between the two and being like, oh my gosh, how do I handle this? Well, now for someone who really does believe a lot in truth and interesting, I know it's a little bit about what your breakup was about, but for someone who does believe a lot in truth. How did that feel for you in that time when you felt like you were putting one side out but living another? Oh, it felt horrible. It felt like a great dissonance. If, you know, like there's a, uh, a chord that is melodic, like a melodic 
chord, a harmonious chord in music, it felt like the weirdest, sharpest, flattest discord. Because I know, like, I joke, I was just at the World Series and and I, my husband's a huge Red Sox fan, huge. Uh And so, like, I've, I mean, it's just easier in our household. I'm like from the East Coast. I used to be a Yankees fan, but I say, I was never like hardcore and I'm giving this example because it's so small and I remember how shitty I felt like, and it was like the dumbest thing. And I remember I was at the game and we were in a suite because we got it through his work and I had my like Red Sox t-shirt on because I'm like, it's just easier for the household. And we went to the <laughs> World Series a few years ago and like when they won, so I've kind of jumped more on board. And the suite next door is a suite of a bunch of people I used to work with. And this guy comes in who I love. It was so good to keep in touch with him. And we were chatting and he pulls out his socks hat and all of a sudden sitting there, it occurred to me, we went to a Yankees game together like eight years ago. He's going to think I'm so full of shit. Like, <laughs> and again, who gives a shit? This is about sports teams. Like who cares? But I can't tell you until I could say something to him to be like, Hey, I remember I used to be a Yankees fan too. Let me explain what happened until I could actually have the conversation with him. I sat there through the game with this like heavy thing on my heart. And I'm like, oh God, you really don't do well with like truth because this is so small and no one really cares and it's bothering you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it was like just sitting there for like two innings. I'm like, okay, so remember when we went to the Yankee game? This is what like, I mean, I had to like get it off my chest and it's about sports. Who cares? Yeah. Well, it's like on one hand, it's good because you you have integrity, and on I the do other, have integrity. on the other hand, it's that. like you know, when does it matter and when does it not? It really didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's like it's when you for for me in these moments where I'm like fighting with my ex boyfriend and feel totally broken inside. It it's it's not about like who you are in the world and who you are when you're in a fight. You're always the same whole person. We yep. all have shadow and light. And, and I'll never forget the, the morning after my ex and I had our like biggest and first like real breakup talk. I was living in West Hollywood and I took a book off my shelf. I like literally, I just like blindly grabbed for When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay, I need to get out of this apartment. I need to go to the coffee shop. I just need to like get myself out of this space and read something that Pema has to say about when things fall apart because shit's falling apart. And I get to Coffee Commissary on Fairfax and I see my friend Katie, who at the time was not as much of a friend as she has become, but she was booking the speakers for Wanderlust. And so I had a professional relationship with Katie and, and she turns around and she goes, Shannon. And I'm like, oh God, like, I don't want to see someone who's <laughs> expecting me to be happy, motivational Shannon right like, now. Like, I'm in a bad place. Yeah. And she goes, she goes to her friend, Nada, and says, Nada, look, he's holding when things fall apart. They're literally talking about when things fall apart as I walk up with the book. And so I'm like, oh gosh, she's with someone. I'm going to meet them. Anyway, they like were super warm and inviting, invited me to sit down with them. Turns out that that both Katie and I were having relationship things that had happened the day before, like in that same moment. And Nada was starting a book club for Katie uh, for uh, Conscious Uncoupling by Catherine Woodbert Thomas. Amazing. We love her. Yeah. So so I literally like stumbled into a... I got invited to the book club, <laughs> went to that book club every week to figure out how to get out of my relationship and consciously uncouple. And so... It's like this low moment where I didn't want to be seen by this person who sees me as like a speaker was actually a moment that enveloped me and like nurtured me and wrapped me into a community where I could be reminded that I'm that there's a way out. 
there's Isn't a way so out. so nice? I mean, I think people don't trust that a people are around you all the time who are going to have you. Like, even if you don't have your back, like, I mean, that's happened to me so many times. Super. I remember in my old job, I went through a huge breakup and it was a long distance breakup. And the breakup finally actually happened while I was driving to a dinner. Cause that's like my old job used to be like drinks and dinners all the time. And I'm like, how the fuck am I going to do this? It was like a really long, like three year break. I mean, it was, but it was too late and it was really before, I mean, communication. I couldn't just text basically. I don't mm -hmm. think so. I remember showing up to this dinner and like taking as many breaths as possible. And within two seconds, the guy's like, so how are things going? And I just lost my shit and ended up being mm. a great dinner. And like, mm. he was so there for me. And by the way, checked in for like months, just being like, how are you doing? Are you okay? And we did not have that relationship at all. And frankly, we didn't even become like really close friends afterwards either. But it was so lovely to remember like, oh, behind all of this bullshit, there is humanity. Yes. Always, if you trust it and if oh you're open to it. And when we put up these walls and these masks, we cut ourselves off from that opportunity for connection. You know, like if you held in those tears or if I wasn't honest when I sat down with them for coffee and said, oh my God, I think I'm breaking up with my boyfriend. If I tried to hide it or put on some kind of like face that I, that Katie, that I think Katie wants me to put on or what, you know, whatever that is, uh, we lose the opportunity to have resonance with another human being. And, yeah. and that's like, I think that's the great travesty when we, when we lie to ourselves and lie to the people we're around. Let's talk about lying to yourself. Because, mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Let's. I mean, because I think that's an interesting topic because I don't think people always know when they're lying to themselves. So how do you cut through the crap to actually know when you're lying to yourself? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the fundamental, the, the truth is the truth and the truth exists in us. We, we know the truth. The problem is that we don't want to know the truth. So the question becomes, why don't we want to know the truth? What are we invested in? What system are we invested in? Whether it's keeping a certain amount of money or keeping a certain relationship in place, that if we acknowledge, you know, we don't want to acknowledge the truth because the truth will dismantle the systems that we have built. And we're afraid of the unknown because the unknown is vulnerable. And as Brene Brown defines vulnerability, it's experienced as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. So who wants to feel uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure? This don't feel like you know, great emotions. However, in Brene Brown's research, she found that people who live and love their lives with their whole heart are all practicing vulnerability. They're, they're willing to practice vulnerability and they, they actively consider themselves uh, vulnerable people on a daily basis. So it's vulnerable to imagine what life will be like when the truth comes up and so you know sometimes it's not so dramatic as right. we think it's going to be it's like but you don't know you know it's like you don't know you don't know steve jobs said in his famous stanford commencement speech that you can never connect the dots looking forward but you'll always be able to connect the dots looking back and so it's about having that faith that like when you look back it will all make sense it will all make sense there won't be one thing that you'll be like huh like so that's the um that's it's faith it's faith in the truth to be the great purifier, the great director of where we need to go. We should always go in the direction of the truth because, you know, it's like they say, the truth will set you free. Uh, what I find is that most people don't want to be free because freedom is actually feels vulnerable. Freedom is like free falling from the sky. <laughs> freedom is like, oh my gosh, I could live anywhere. I could do anything. I don't know 
Like, what do I do? What do I, where do I go? Freedom feels so excruciating for so many of us who want structure and order that we want to deny the truth or, or, or our ego or fear wants us to deny the truth so that everything stays clean and structured and steady and the way that we've known it to be. So I think it's more uh, in the long run. The, 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 the thing about the truth is the truth will come out. Yeah. It has to because it's... It exists. It's, it exists. It's, it's, it's the whole... What it, like, the question is like, what is the truth? Is the truth is the whole picture. It's the good and the bad and the light and the shadow. It's the pros and the cons. It's, it's all aspects of you. And so it's the sanest thing to go with. So if I'm only favoring the lie or, or some aspect of myself, but, but you know, Tall's not allowed to see this part of Shannon, but I, but I can only kind of present this kind of Shannon, then, then I'm, I'm not only doing a disservice to myself and to our ability to connect, that, that's dis-ease. That's dis-ease. That means that I'm showing up not fully at ease with who I am and and so I don't think we recognize the, the cost of lying to ourselves. And if we, if we did, then I think we'd favor the truth more and have more of a thirst for it. So that's kind of what I'm interested in is like, how can I develop a thirst for truth? So talk about some of the costs of not being true to yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget when I interviewed Carolyn Mace, she said, uh, Carolyn Mace is the okay. author of Anatomy of the Spirit and many other awesome books. And she said, when you, in her really intense way, when <laughs> you lie to yourself, your whole body lets you know. And I remember being like, ah! <laughs> like I feel like I'm in a horror film, like some spiritual horror film. Um, and it's true. When you, when, you, when you lie to yourself, your whole body lets you know. And so one of the costs is, is if, I, if I lie to myself, then I don't believe in myself. So my self-worth starts to just deplete. Self-worth is a third chakra energy. That, that's your core. That's your confidence. And your confidence is your ability to assert yourself and be in the world and, and actually get shit done. So immediately, as soon as you've lied to yourself, you're depleting your own sense of worthiness. It's a major cost. No, by the way, I get it. I mean, that's why that stupid example I gave is one I gave because I feel like I feel like that so much that any version of me feeling like I'm not being totally transparent really sits on me. Mm. And granted, look, I mean, I was in a relationship and cheated on someone. So there's like, I have big things, the small things, but any version of it makes me feel like I'm not myself. Yes. And you want to be yourself. Yes. And that's, and I want to be, I want to love myself for being myself. And I also want to make sure the people around me love me for me. Like that's another thing for me. If Mm. I feel ever that I'm being loved or for whatever reasons for something that's not true or not like vibrating as me, that also makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's another major cost is when you lie to yourself, you inevitably start creating a life of lies because you cannot lie to yourself without, if I, if I tell myself, I'm like, I don't know, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a, software developer, (laughs) like, and I start building a life as a software developer, then suddenly, I mean, that's like a weird example, but suddenly I'm like, you saw the one I gave, so you're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, like I'm pursuing like maybe a job in software development that this is not Shannon's purpose. Right. So suddenly I'm like, I'm in the periphery of my purpose. That's a great danger because 
we need people to be in alignment with their purpose. There's a lot of work to be done on this planet. And and the, we all deserve to feel fulfilled. And we only feel fulfilled when we're doing our work, when we're, when we're in alignment with our dharma. So when we lie to ourselves, we start to be in a relationship where someone doesn't know who we truly are. We, we start right. to have a boss who doesn't really see us. And so that's where I think what can happen when you don't have a thirst for truth or when you don't have a relationship with being true in your life you can, you, you know, maybe you blame like, oh, I have a shitty boss. Oh, I have a shitty boyfriend. And it's like, well, actually, maybe those things are true. Maybe they're not true, whatever. If you get back in alignment with your truth, then the systems around you that you've built on the lie, you don't really need to do much of anything because they're going to just burn and fall away. And, and that's, I mean, that's the spiritual path is right. like, what, what happens next? Then, so back to that, what happens next, which is faith, which is what you're talking about, and faith and religion. So is this where you feel like growing up religious kind of gave you in some ways like, like up is the worst way to say it. I don't know how else to say it, but like already started training you in the way of how to kind of have some faith of the unknown? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a, a uh neural pathway that was set up in my mind is that there's like a God and you don't know God and it's bigger than you and you can't see him or her or whatever. Um, I think what, what my religion really gave me like, like Catholic and I'm not a practicing Catholic by any means. Uh, but that's what I grew up in was prayer and prayer really is, is just kind of like a form of meditation. There were spaces in my schooling where I got to be silent and I was encouraged to be with myself and something greater than me. I think that conversation, whatever would, you know, I remember I would just like put my hands together and like bow my head and I would <laughs> say a prayer. That's powerful. It is. Because when you, when you realize that you actually have a relationship with something greater than you, then you're not alone. There, there's, a, there's a relationship with me and all that is, or the universe, or God. And I think that that, that is what I got most from my religion of Catholicism growing up and has been a has been majorly enhanced through my kind of spiritual path, if you will. Hey, sorry to interrupt. I want to talk about our next Dentox Live. We are so unbelievably lucky. We have Sean Korn. She was one of the first internationally celebrated yoga teachers. You know how we know everybody on IG now? She was literally one of the first that everyone started talking about. And she is just known for activism. She actually started off the mat and into the world. And since 2007 has taught so many leaders of activism to bridge the gap of injustice around the world. She's incredible. She sells out wherever she goes. So this interview is going to be great. It's January 24th. That's a Thursday night at 7 p.m. Don't forget what comes with that. I promise it'll be an in-depth conversation. Also a Q&A for you guys to have your own chance to talk to her and a personal practice. And don't forget, when she practices, she sells out. So this is a really unique opportunity. And per usual, we'll have some wine and cheese, snacks and drinks afterwards so we can all mingle and just like hang out. This is incredible. I can't express how lucky we are to have her. I hope to see you there. What do you tell people who aren't necessarily religious or spiritual um, and are in that place where they feel alone? Like it's not only is it hard for them to take chances because the fear of the unknown, but part of that is also because they feel alone or they feel like there's no one to reach out to. They don't even know anyone who would understand. Like, mm -hmm. how do you coach people in that? Yeah, well, it's, it, 
we're we're all we we tend to think in our fear and in our ego that it must only be me. Right. Which is shame. You know, I, you know, I cite Brene Brown's research all the time because it's Love so it. potent. Shame, shame is this fundamental belief that I'm bad, broken, and unworthy of love and belonging. Uh, so, so shame is, causes addiction. Shame causes isolation. Shame causes us to feel like it must only be me. I am so broken. And so the power of speaking up, the power of telling your story, the power of reaching out is this knowing that there's no way you're alone. In this human experience, so many people right now are going through exactly what you're going through, exactly what I'm going through, that there's the hardship is real. And I'm so against the Instagram bullshit of these like perfect lives that are perfectly curated. It's I think it's disgusting. And I and I think that that the more people that are sharing the truth about their lives and bringing their struggle and their hardship to light in service of connection and service of breaking down this mold of perfectionism that's like a total delusion, then people go, oh my gosh, she goes through that? Like, oh, that person that I thought was so perfect, she goes through that or he goes through that? It's like, then we all get to breathe better. So I think it's like, for someone who feels alone, it's just, it, it, the, the feeling is real, but the reality is not. And I think that that's a helpful distinction to know is like, I... I, I get that I feel alone right now. I love the, um, I met this guy in Hawaii who said alone is all one. Mm, that when right. you spend time alone, you're spending, you, you're actually most connected to the all oneness. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And I have another friend who said, who said this to me once. He's like not in the spiritual world at all. Uh, maybe he is, maybe I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, he's, he's a friend that I know from high school. And he, he's a performer, he's an actor, he's a writer. And he said, um, he said, I feel most myself when I'm alone. And then I feel closest to myself when I'm with like, with, when I'm with you. And he kind of cited, you know, a couple of nearest and dearest friends. And I thought that was so interesting that that kind of like, uh, we, so many of us don't want to be alone because we don't know how to be alone. I know. And it's phones. so good for you. Cause I say, I said the same thing. I remember the first time I used to travel a lot by myself and I still do. I mean, now I'm a mom, so it's harder, but, um, and I used to say it was such a beautiful feeling of that moment where you wake up, you're like, okay, I got to go do it wherever I was. Let's say I should go to the museum and see this because that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and like on the way walking there, I'm like, I really don't want to go see that. And you know what? There's no one here I'm going to disappoint. And there's no one here who also wants to see it. So like, I'm just not going to go. Like, <laughs> who gives a shit that like, that's what everyone says. You're there. You have to say, I don't, I'm not in the mood. I'd rather walk down that alley and I'd rather walk down that thing. And I want to sit in that cafe and I want a beer and I want to like read my book and I want to watch whatever it is. It's such like traveling by yourself is the way, and by the way, you should do this in other ways. You don't have to travel by yourself. But for me, it was such a great way of being like, oh, no, no, this is what I want in this moment. This is who I am. These are actually my likes. These are actually my dislikes. This is where I'm comfortable. This is where I'm not comfortable. Welcome. Hello. Like, this is who I am. Like, the conversations you have with yourself, I could make myself laugh. Like, I could make myself cry. Like, literally, <laughs> I mean, you really do, especially when you're spending an extended period of time by yourself it's such a beautiful journey of just like a relationship. And so now I make a point and my husband's amazing for it. I go by myself for at least like five days every year. Amazing. Now it's not as much traveling to see it. Now it's more like rest. So I go somewhere very like quiet so I can like take care of myself and like mm -hmm. recharge. But it's the same thing. I always joke. I'm like, I am delighted to like actually have like a lovely conversation with myself at dinner. Like it's really fun. Right. 
And I love that you mentioned traveling too, because I think there's something about getting out of your environment. Absolutely. When, when you're in a new place, you have a new relationship with yourself. You Absolutely. You feel different when you're in a different space. Um, and I think, yeah. So you remember how small you are. I used to try and tell that people like when they were going through really bad, I'm like, if you can, can you go away? You just remember like our problems seem so huge sometimes. And it's not to take away from what they actually feel like inside. But sometimes a perspective shift back to what we started with of like mm-hmm. realizing, oh, I'm like, uh, like, oh, I just went to another place or another country or another city or another town or just like to another part of this, like downtown today, whatever it is. Yep. And you're seeing all these new faces that are all like living their lives. And you just realize, oh, I am so little and connected to this much bigger thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That really helps me. Oh, yeah. I, I love it, too. And also you, you were mentioning this like an extended period of time with yourself. I recently kind of been thinking about how. I am going to spend my whole life with me. <laughs> like no one will spend more time with me than, than me. You. And so, I mean, isn't it of the utmost importance to develop a quality relationship with yourself? You're going to literally be here for the whole freaking thing. I mean, that's such a great way to put it. It's like you're stuck with you. <laughs> right. So learn to like you. Yeah, it's like, let's work on this relationship. It's one, it's one worth working on. You're going to spend, there's no one else, no matter how much you love them, that's going to get as much time with you as you. Did you ever feel disconnected from yourself? Is there a time where you actually felt like you didn't know who you were? Or let's say, and we haven't even really talked about your journey here, which is crazy because that's what I was going to start with. But like (laughs) when you even, let's say, started really getting into like yoga and meditation and before you became a coach, like are there things that came up for you that you really had to grapple with? Yeah, I think I think I constantly am feeling disconnected from myself. Uh, I I wake up every day and I'm like, who the fuck am I? And am I doing, am I doing what I'm here to do? It's, it's this weird thing about being on my purpose. And as I have been, I've had my coaching practice for several years. I've been teaching yoga for even more. And I've had my podcast now for coming up on four years. And so I think I'm on my purpose, right? I think I know who Shannon is. But these are just more systems. They're just more identities. You know, like I identify with like, oh, I interviewed Deepak Chopra. Like, that's cool. But like, that's not who I am. I know. Isn't it interesting how even in evolving, you can get trapped in a new identity. And it's like, how do you not like the the attachments? How do you not form your attachments? Exactly. So so yeah, so I, I do feel I do feel disconnected. And I think that that is always an opportunity to get mindful and conscious about what am I connecting to? Because it's not just like one like, okay, I'm connected and then I don't ever have to do that work again. It's like a constant practice of, of am I connected to my purpose? Am I doing the work that is my work? Because, you know, I, something I am, I've realized that I'm good at is I'm good at great ideas. I have great ideas, but that doesn't mean that I am the one who is here on this planet to realize all of those ideas. So I feel like like a lot of my 20s was like just like doing great ideas like oh that's a great idea i'll do that oh that's a great idea i'll do that and now i'm almost 32 and i'm like i'm like okay not everything is for me to do and getting more discerning about that makes me feel more connected to shannon's path versus living someone else's path like doing it like gabby bernstein or doing it like marianne or doing it like whoever that's not that's not me and so i think i think it's um important to almost disconnect to to reconnect like like we're so hyper connected on our phones we're looking at what everyone else is doing we're identifying like oh who do i need to be to fit into this world and 
you know, people used to be bored. They didn't have phones. I know. They would be in nature. They would have to like meet up at a restaurant. And if it, Something. I mean, I'm 42. We actually made plans. Like, <laughs> I actually, actually grew up having to make plans. This. Yes, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, what is it like? You know, it, it, by the way, it's a totally, and by the way, some of the most amazing stories and fun stories of like being younger are moments of like, that plan didn't work out. And I waited for 20 minutes. So then I went to this and then I met that person, blah, blah. And like some of the most incredible things. And like you wait, like you wait and you're like, what's the amount of time you're waiting for someone? Like, and maybe they canceled and they couldn't get in touch, whatever it is. Or, I mean, I can Your tell you, imagination I can tell you so many amazing up. nights I had when mm-hmm. I try to like follow the plan because you have to, and mm-hmm. then it didn't work because that's life. And the most incredible things happen. I just had the most crazy deja vu. You did? Yeah. Like, See? Like I love that. I was like, whoa, it's all said this exact thing in this exact room to me before. Maybe I have. Probably have. Great. But it's, <laughs> it's, um, it, it really is true. And I try and tell even like my nieces and people who are younger than me, I'm like, when you're waiting for someone, like maybe try and just also wait. Like, don't go right to the phone. And I'm guilty of it too. I mean, I'm part of this you know, society. But it's like, I really try sometimes. I always try and have a book with me because I like sitting and reading because you do get, it's amazing how much time you also fucking waste. It's crazy. I've done that before. I'm like, oh my God, an hour just went by. I could have been sleeping. I could have been working. There were so many productive things I could have done. And I've just got done nothing but stare at other people's lives that aren't really their lives anyway. (laughs) Digesting lies. Right. Digesting lies. There's this app called Moment that I stopped using because it was just horrifying me too much. It it tells you how long you've been on your phone every day. I was was like, oh, I I can't know this anymore. I have to delete this. Um, I don't want to know that. Which I need to to re-know it. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how much we're, we're on our phones and then it's like someone's running late and then I become a neurotic, anxious mess being like, where are they? And are they going to text me and what's happening? And, and so like in that moment, what would have happened in that moment? Like, would I have looked up? Would I have looked around the room? Would I have seen someone I know? Would I have met a new friend? Would I have fallen in love? All these would I have a great idea for a book? Would I have maybe written some of my fucking book? Who knows what would happen? But no, I'm like, "Mm, let me like, wait on Instagram or check someone's story. I'll, I'll check their story and see if they're close because they updated their Instagram story two minutes ago. On the, I, I know. And it is true. It's like the things you could, if there's one thing in your life, anybody, whatever it is that you're like, if only I could do this, I guarantee, and I have them too, I guarantee we could all probably accomplish those things within a year if you took like a half an hour away from like the time you spent on your phone, just 30 minutes. If 30 minutes a day you dedicated to doing one of the things in your life, you're like, I wish I could do it, whether it's like, I don't, I don't have time to exercise or I want to write this book or I've been meaning to work on this or I want to start art or I want to learn how to play the guitar or whatever the fuck it is. I want to learn a new language. Like with 30 minutes, if you took away and 30 minutes is not a lot percentage wise of how much we're on these phones. I, I say this to myself all the time. Now, obviously I haven't done it, but like, I'm always like, if I would just take 30 minutes away from that and just do, it'd be incredible or even meditate or relax or take care of yourself or sleep, whatever it is. Yeah. I just got into this practice of turning my phone off. Huge deal. Because it goes on airplane mode every once in a while, but yep. like it rarely goes off unless it dies. So I'm turning it off, which means I'm killing it for a temporary period of time and writing. So smart. And I, and I use my Amazon Alexa and I'm like, set the timer for, for one hour and I just write for an hour. And this week, I did this two days this week, and I wrote two articles. One is like an actual article about social media addiction, funny enough. <laughs> and the other is potentially a book. And although I'm very serious about not writing a book, I'm like, Shannon, do not write a book, just write a sentence. Like, okay, okay, I can write a sentence. Um, How many sentences did you write? 
I probably wrote like four or five pages in That's an hour. Um, and I was kind of just like fleshing out an idea. But, you know, I'm good at writing book titles and taglines. I could write everyone's book title and tagline. Uh, and so I always get wrapped up in like, what is this? And so my mantra is do not write a book, write a sentence. Don't write a book, right. write a sentence. It will turn into what it needs to. Absolutely. Yeah. But this is what you can do when your phone is off. And if my phone was on, a part of my energy would be like, oh, I could just go look real quick. Oh, that's the problem. It's like, oh, just for one oh, second. I just want to see the likes. Do they like me? And sometimes like I find I do it also when I'm just not in the mood to deal with something. It's like a quick look just to, like, it's almost like a palate cleanser. Yes. But it's not like a good palate cleanser. Like, because no. I'll do that sometimes. I'm like, oh, I can't think about this right now. I just need a two second like palate cleanser. And then I'm like, ugh. It's like it's, it's anxiety provoking palate yeah. cleanser, which is not a palate cleanser at all. But I know what you mean. I do that, too. Right. So I want to talk about also manifesting with you because I know you have like a whole free manifesting workshop you do um, on your website. And it's a big it's a big thing that you teach and work mm-hmm. with your clients. But let's talk about because we're talking a lot about trusting the truth and we're talking all, a lot about attachment. So when you deal in manifestation and people kind of, you know, trying to put out what they need or want. How do you, what is the process of attachment within that? Like, what is the line? Yeah, well, this is a big thing I talk about in, so my course is called Illuminate Career Manifestation Course. And there's like a free, there's a free part of it. And then there's a, there's an actual like seven module course. And it's the balance between the being and the doing, which is like such a dance of being present because it's, we've been taught, we are in a system of of patriarchy and productivity, which teaches us to do 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 to like make shit happen. Like if you want if you want to do a thing, then you you do it and you like push through and do whatever it takes and whack the weeds and like make <laughs> it a thing in the world, which is great. That's a great energy to be able to work with. And there's also this other energy that's like the being, which is which is more of a feminine energy. It's like the space. It's the openness. It's it's a, making ourselves available to receive. So it's not just about what I'm like putting into the universe. It's also about what am I allowing myself to receive from the universe. So I think it's really important with manifestation and in the, the career manifestation course, it's, it's designed in alignment with the seven chakras. So we start with vision and higher vibrational energy and we get more practical and specific and more formulated as we get closer to the first chakra. So in all of that, we, you know, we're coming up with our vision. We're coming up with our why statement, which is like why you're here on the planet, your, your dharma. We're coming up with uh, three major, major goals. We're coming up with a bold action plan, like what is the project that I'm committing to? And so my experience with goal setting is it can be really inspiring and get you kind of really like jazzed. Um, and then life happens and you get disappointed when you don't meet the date that you set your goal by. or thing you you feel like you're falling short of the goal um for whatever reason or you, you kind of get into this thing where you're like oh i i thought i would have more done by now and so then the, then the goal is no longer useful when it's used to shame you right so it's like it's a balance of of doing like taking action making shit happen and also knowing when to sit back and and receive and be like okay i've done my piece and now let me see like what the universe has in store. Maybe there's someone who wants to go in on this with me, who wants to give me some money to make this happen. Maybe there's someone who's a business partner. Maybe there's someone who wants to hire me as, as their, their coach. But if I'm always doing, then I'm not open to actually receiving. 
that opportunity. I might be looking the other way and someone's tapping my shoulder and I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm so set on this specific goal. I can't pay attention to you. And that person might be the exact thing that I'm, that would, uh, or that person might be the exact person who would help me realize that goal. So it's, it's a process of listening to your body, I think. It's, it's, knowing, it's knowing that when you're in that uh, doing mode, we, we know when we've, when we've passed the point of healthy productivity mm-hmm. and we're teetering into neurotic burnout. I mean, I, I feel that where I'm like, oh, I feel good. I'm getting shit done. I'm right, like, right. flowing. And then I'm like, let me just do a little bit more. It's like I'm a workaholic. I'm addicted to, to just doing. And it doesn't even matter if my doing is efficient anymore. I, I just, it's like my ego gets stroked because I'm doing. And that's just like, that's just but like that's a interesting. We were just talking with like Emily Fletcher about mm-hmm. kind of the pursuit of her. happiness versus actually being like happy within happiness. So mm-hmm. that's a little mm-hmm. bit of what you're talking about. It's like you get so obsessed with the doing mm-hmm. that you actually don't even remember where you're headed. Right. And like, or why you're headed there in the first place, or should you be headed there? Yeah, it's like, it's like your, your head's down and you're like, I want to collect as many acorns as possible. And you're like, acorn, 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 acorn. And you're like, wait, what's the point of acorns? Yeah, why am I doing this? Yeah. So, but what do you, when people come to you about like, I want this stuff to happen in my life, is there like a process before that of like even trying to figure out why, what is important to you? Like, because I'm sure some people probably come in, they're like, I want money, I want this car. Like, it just might be a lot of things that they think are going to make them happy. So what is like the process of, figuring out for yourself, what are the things that are actually going to make you happy? What are the things that are actually going to make you happy? Do you know what yeah. I mean? And then how do you work on towards manifesting those? Yeah. So, I mean, in, in, in the work of the career manifestation course, everyone gets the opportunity to write like a big vision for their lives. And whether that vision like comes exactly true or not is besides the point. I think of it as like a yoga or meditation practice. It's just like you, every time you do your vision, it's kind of new. Right. And so, it's a practice of allowing allowing yourself to want what you want, or at least what you think you want. Sometimes it's like, maybe, you know, maybe I really want a Tesla. I'm like, I want a Tesla, I want a Tesla. Maybe I don't actually care if I have a Tesla or not, but some part of me wants to at least explore what it feels like to want a Tesla. Right. Maybe that's not connected to my f- sense of fulfillment. Who cares? But it's like, so, so that's where we start is just doing this big vision. If you could have anything, if you could be anything, if you could do anything, if you had all the resources provided to you, then what would you want? What, what would your life look like? What would you do? Where would you go? And so that's a really healing process for a lot of people because we tend not to, we tend to not be in that conversation of someone saying, you can have whatever you want. You just need to visualize it and then let's write it down and share it. Right. Um, then we, we go through a process of, we do a whole bunch of work on the power of words to create your reality and looking at which words are blocking your vision from coming to life because we say like, oh, that can't happen or we use disempowering words versus activating manifesting words. And then everyone comes up with a why statement, which I think is a really important part of the process because you can have all these visions. Like I can just be like, Tesla, 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 Tesla. Like, but it's, why? Yeah, why? Why Tesla? Why? And it's not just about why Tesla. It's about why are you uniquely here on the planet? Right. Because I, I believe that everyone is here for a reason and that when each of us knows our why and and is aware of our unique gifts to be in service of the healing of the world, to be in service of the world being a more functional, loving, and compassionate place, then, then it's like it's, it's less about what you're doing or how you're doing it. And you, you just know why you're doing it. 
And so then once people know their why, we go through a process of, of creating specific goals that are connected to the why. Um, and that's cool to see people make the connection between their heart, their, their why and action. And I feel, and what I see is that weeds out the superfluous, uh, like egocentric wanting, or, you know, it's just, everyone's on a different point in their paths. Maybe there is something egoic in there and you go and you pursue it and you get it and, or you don't get it. And you realize if you actually really care about that thing or not. So it's not really about setting the perfect goals or doing the perfect things, but it's a question of how alignment, how in alignment can you be with your true self? And it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about the perspective and changing your, like you were saying, you have to change your language around it. And it's like, if you're not, if, if you don't think you can be happy, you're not going to be happy. So if you don't think you can attain that, you're not going to attain it. Exactly. Exactly. And it, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a game. It's a game of, of, when when I started Soul Feed Podcast, it was like three and a half years ago. Our our first interviews were Marianne Williamson and Sean Corn, which is amazing. Yeah, and th- and that was like that was something tangible that happened. Those interviews were like tangible interviews that helped make the podcast bigger than we even thought it could be from the get go. But we, but me and my uh, previous podcast partner Alex, we had like a really strong uh, mission, and we had a really strong why. So that, that's what it took. It took that fire to get Marianne to say yes to doing a podcast that didn't even exist. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Amazing. So now recently, now you're on your own kind of on the podcast and like you and your ex-partner kind of split up that way. But are you guys still close? Yeah, we, we are close. And we had like a really, uh, we had a really, um, how would I describe it? Like communicative, evolved parting. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it was really a process of, you know, what what we what we shared in our last interview of what we call season 1, uh where we we what well, wasn't an interview but it was a conversation between the two of us mm-hmm. was really like actually how it went down. And that and that felt really good. It took took more time than my ego wanted to make the transition. Uh but it was the perfect we both felt so good in the way that it went down. And the way that we were able to get clear, and we both needed to be clear about where where are we going with the podcast, and what's the best, uh, what is the best thing for this podcast? And so we were able to see where Alex was headed on his path. He's he's going to seminary, and he works as an associate pastor for a church, and he's doing amazing work in his community. So it's like we both needed to work with our egos and work together just to like let go and allow the process to be what it was. You had to practice what you preach. Yeah. What do you feel like your shit is? Like, where do you <clears throat> feel like your Achilles heel is or the thing you constantly still have to work? And how do you work? Like for me, a lot of times it's in my relationship. Like mm. that is my biggest mirror. It's where I have to do my most work all the time. It's what I always say, which is great. I mean, that's where I know like I get to grow. Mm-hmm. Like for you, where is it? What is it? Yeah, I think I think for me, it's... Um, it's it's the ego which vacillates between wanting to wanting me to act bigger than i am uh you know in the sense of like proving something like look like i'm as big as this person i'm as big as this person i want to be like 
in this conversation, you know, it's just another version of looking outside of myself mm-hmm. and saying, oh, that person's powerful. Or, I want to do what that person's doing. And it's like all these like shiny objects. And so it's that, but then it's also like, oh, I'm small and I'm not worthy of that. And I don't, I don't have enough to say, or I don't have, I don't have enough experience or I don't have enough truth. It, it's like, it's that doesn't even occur to me like that. It's just a, it's just like an, I'm not worthy. It's mm-hmm. a shame. It's shaming. It's like, I'm fundamentally broken. And so therefore I don't deserve to, sh- to have my light shine. And so it's kind of like this weird thing of like, you need to get your light out there and be so big. And like, you don't deserve to be seen at all. And so, and I think, you know, I think we all have that work to some degree or another. Um, that really is my, my process though, is just being, being Shannon. Mm-hmm. And like, you said you were fundamentally broken. Like, what does that mean for you? Well, I don't, I don't think I'm fundamentally broken, but that's what shame, that's, that's the nature of shame is that it, it has us believe that we are fundamentally broken. So to me, that means that I'm bad. Like I'm, I'm bad. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the probably even the, the truer answer to this question, what is my Achilles heel is anger, hmm. is anger. And something that's really been coming up for me in the last year is suppressed anger, which is a really interesting thing. And, you know, we live in these inflammatory times. So as I'm, as I'm working with my own anger and how is that healthy, I'm also seeing a lot of anger and, and inflammation ha- so much. happening in the world. And it's all kind of very uh, interconnected, right? Like what's happening in the individual is being reflected in the collective and what's happening in the collective is also happening in each of us. And I come from a lineage of, of temper, like hot Irish, Irish temper. Yeah. Um, and I come from a lineage of, of sexual trauma and a lot of, a lot of pain and suppression. Uh, so I'm exploring what is it like to, to have anger, which is fire, and to be consciously working with that fire instead of letting that fire overtake me and turn into something that's you know, like yelling at my dog when she doesn't deserve to be yelled at, or you know, even if I'm not acting out at someone on at someone at a coffee shop, being like, "Oh, that fucking idiot!" Like, you know, like. <laughs> now you said, is this something you've discovered of yourself, or is this something you finally admitted? Like, is this something that's recently come up? Like, all of a sudden you're angrier, or is this something that's always been there and now you're finally starting to realize it? I think I think it's both. I think it has been there, and I'm finally starting to realize it. Um. And, and it's coming up. Like, it's something that's been coming up. Uh, it came up in my relationship. And that was an interesting learning because I felt very justified in my anger. Is this the same breakup, the same relationship we talked about earlier? Yeah, yeah. My, my previous relationship, a lot of anger came up in that. Um, but what's interesting is when you feel justified in your anger, you don't necessarily take responsibility for it. Exactly. So God gave me a puppy. Yeah. And, and so a puppy is a harmless being who's a puppy. And so now I get to experience my anger at, you know, a, a puppy. So now you have to take responsibility. Now I have to take responsibility. And that is a really, really powerful lesson, sometimes a hard pill to swallow. And, you know, I was at the, um, I was at the dog park the other day and I was having trouble getting Ginger, my fiery little flame, <laughs> out, of the, uh, out of the dog park. And so she has this like body harness. So I like lifted her up by her leash and like it wasn't around her neck, but yeah. it like it kind of lifted her body up. 
it wasn't so much what I was doing, but I was like, I was like pissed. I was like, come on, like we gotta get out of here. I was like, just having one of those moments where I was like, ah, oh, I why am I even at this dog park? I don't even want to be here. I'm like taking care of my dog more than I'm taking care of myself. I was, you know, and so I just kind of like aggressively lifted her up and like got her out of the dog park. I'm walking away. I'm like, Ginger, you have to listen to me. And, and, and then this woman is like, you can't treat your dog like that. And I was like, oh God, I'm getting yelled at at, at the, the dog, dog park. park. I was like, Shannon, <laughs> you've reached a new low. <laughs> <laughs> you're getting yelled at at the dog park. So I turned around and I walked straight to the woman and like not aggressively at all, but I was like, my intention was like, listen to what this woman is telling you. Like, like feel, she felt your it's energy. You. She felt your intensity. She didn't like the way you were being with your dog and you're being called out right now. And so I just went up to her and I was like, I was like, okay. I was like, tell me about this. Like, she had a lot to say. And it kind of like totally diffused it. She was like, this is a weirdo. He's like not being nice now. <laughs> he's like, like, why does he want to know why I think he's an asshole? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was like, okay, whatever. She was like, it's just not right. And, uh, and so, so that was like a, a big moment for me because it's all about taking responsibility and being accountable for this thing that is like an unconscious pattern. So, so it, we all have these unconscious patterns. Our tendency when we can't handle it is to blame it on someone or something else. We want to discharge it in some way. It's someone else's fault. It's like we want to just kind of release it. And so to take responsibility for it is is the process of healing. Is like, okay, what is this what is this teaching me about me? How can I show up? And actually perfectly I went right into a uh, a session with my therapist right after Amazing. that. Amazing. Yeah, and I was like, okay, let's talk about this. So how does it when you look back on that relationship? Um and you now have this perspective on yourself, how does it change what you think about that? Like, does it change how you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I have a, a knowing and a faith that that relationship served a really powerful purpose in my life. It didn't go the way I wanted it to go back when I wanted it to go a certain way. Uh, and that was the cause of a lot of suffering because I, I wanted to uphold the, the, I wanted to make that relationship last no matter what, no matter what the truth was, no matter what, how disrespected I was, no matter how much I disrespected myself, no matter how n much we needed to move on from it, I wanted to uphold it no matter what. And I think that that, that brought up a lot of anger, like at, at why isn't it the way I want it to be? You know, like, if it could just be different, if you could just be different, if I could just be different, if we hadn't moved to LA, you know, like you kind of reckon with if, God, if if. if, if, and so, so, um, I think, what was the question? We were talking about anger and how you started to understand, like you also had a lot of anger in there and that it was you, like then you could blame him. And now you realize, well, part of this is just you. Yeah. So does it shift your perspective at all on the relationship or how, the, or your takeaways from the relationship? And yeah. you, you are answering it. Yeah, I think I think it's um I think we all the the purpose of relationships you know a course in miracles teaches this and many spiritual practices teach this a course in miracles says that uh relationships are assignments divine assignments and I you know we talked earlier in this episode about my uh, responsibility um or we talked about my mom and and how I uh was in relationship with her and and learning a lot about her sexual trauma from a pretty young age and also kind of being in this weird like listening kind of therapist role 
And also, I literally came from my from my mom and carry that trauma that that she had as a young girl. So, it, one of the things that I've learned is that that uh, sexual betrayal is something that I needed to learn in relationship to heal the sexual betrayal that lives in me, lived in me through my mom. So interesting. Uh, so. When I started to understand that, and it took me doing a lot of work and, and healing and working with others to, to get a sense of that, that dynamic, the, I, I got to see the larger picture of what this relationship meant for my healing. You got to connect the dots. I got to connect the dots. And that, that so, so knowing that that relationship was not in vain, no matter, um, of course, like no matter how hard it got, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't something that broke me fundamentally. It broke me down so that I could see where the healing was. And so, the, there's a lot of anger that can come up when you want things to just be great, and but what's actually happening is the uh, like intergenerational trauma healing. Uh, so, so that. That gives that that's given me a large sense of peace. That's actually really beautiful, and I think that's such a great story. It's really relatable. So people, again, it's another thing when you're in it, when you're in the shit, it might not feel like it makes sense, but if you have the ability to kind of look at it, especially as you move out of it, there's so much to learn. Right. There's some dynamic in me that created this. I mean, there's not a relationship I've ever been in that I regret. And some have been awful, like, and some are great. And some I was really sad. I mean, I've had every emotional, but like for exactly that, they're divine assignments. Like I've learned so much about me through all of them. It's a, it's a process of becoming like you, who we are becoming, who we are here to be. And so it's like diamonds are made under pressure. Yeah. You know, this is like a purification process. And so whatever suffering you're going through now in this moment, like if someone's listening and going through a hard time, it's like, it's, it's serving a bigger purpose and your ability to connect to that larger healing purpose that this is serving is, it will initiate the, uh, the healing. So, yeah. So for people who have been through some like really awful shit, whether it's breakup, but also let's say deaths, you know, a lot of people try and prescribe meaning to it and try and understand it. Mm-hmm. What is the balance of like letting it go and trusting that there's like a bigger meaning to it versus trying to like put on a day to day meaning? Does that, does that question make sense at all? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the the meaning that I got from it was profound and just true. So what you know what came came up for me in a healing session that this was actually connected to something that lives in me that I inherited through nature and nurture through my mom was like, oh, wow, this is true. This is true. There, there, there is a dynamic in me that created a sexual betrayal so that I would heal sexual betrayal that lives in my psyche and in my body. Right. So, so we, I didn't try and make meaning of that. That was, like a, that was a really powerful understanding. That was like, uh, I mean, it comes back to trusting yourself and knowing your intuition, that mm-hmm. sense of like truth. Like, me when when meaning comes forward, you just know it's the truth. Versus like, we don't want to obsessively try and make it mean. Like, I didn't know what the hell it meant for the longest time. What I was going through, it didn't make any sense. 
And of course, there's that part of you that wants it to make sense, but you can't have it make sense sooner than it than it just does. Right. Uh, so it's like, it's again, you can't connect the dots looking forward, but you'll be able to connect them looking back. So if you can just trust and have faith that it has a meaning and that meaning will reveal itself if you're open to the larger healing process, then you'll just know, okay, this was this is what that relationship served for me. I love that. And that's so beautiful. And I want to leave on that because I think it's so relatable. But let's do your four U's. Okay. So it's so fun talking to you. I know. By the way, it's <laughs> it's been a while. That's why I'm like, oh shit. I know you you have a life. <laughs> as much as I'd like to keep doing this. Um, favorite book or books? Well, A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose by Eckhart Tolle. That's like what got me on this path. I love that. Back in 2006 or seven. Um, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. My favorite tagline out of a book ever. <laughs> I'm good at book titles and taglines. Clearly. By the way, I'm going to you if I'm ever in that realm. <laughs> um, when Things Fall Apart, Heart Advice for Difficult Times. <laughs> This is stupid. No, I, <laughs> I, know I love it. It's like the celebrity game, except for book taglines. <laughs> Keep going. Um, and I'm reading right now uh, uh, Glennon Doyle's Carry On Warrior. I've read like five pages, maybe 13. Uh, and I'm loving it. I love Glennon Doyle. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. She's like, I'm like a huge fan. So inspirational teacher. I feel like this one's going to be hard for you. Glennon Doyle. Oh, there you go. Yeah, okay, I just great. heard her speak at Wanderlust Wellspring. And I was just like, I mean, I I was like a teenager at like a Backstreet Boys Aww. concert in the 90s or something like that. Um, <laughs> that's how I feel around Glennon Doyle. I love that. Um, Brene Brown, well, personal teachers? No, anything for you. It could be, that's... that's I mean, Brene Brown, whether we've met or not, she's a huge teacher. Sean Korn. Yeah. Um, Elena Brower, like major, major mentor and teacher. Oh my gosh. These Mar are all amazing. Marianne people. Williamson. Marianne. They're yeah. all amazing, amazing people. Yeah. Um, favorite documentary or movie? Um, I, I like chose these to be my questions, didn't I? And now yeah. I'm like, uh, um, 13th. I don't know 13th. 13th. Uh, it's a documentary on Netflix about, uh, about ma mass incarceration of okay. mostly men of color. Like, that should be shown in every like school, school. around the world, uh, or especially in the U.S. They're just the statistics and know, the history. So I'm like, and I, it's so heartbreaking, and I'm so freaking happy that I know it. Um, I'm choosing really like heavy ones. Also, the keepers, the keepers on Netflix about sexual trauma in the Catholic world. Um, right. I when I watched that, I was like, I, I felt. Like I was wit bearing witness to the stories of these women that I really struggled to be heard. watching. I have to say, I had a hard time getting through it, and I know, and I hate saying that because it's like it's real. Like, but I that was usually I'm okay. For some reason, I, I everything in me was like, it hurts so much to watch. It's it's majorly intense. Yeah, it's me. It's 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 hard to sit through. I think I guess I have a stomach for it because of my upbringing, but it's like, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. lot. It's really sad. Do you journal or have any other daily practice? Uh, I do. I I love to practice yoga nidra. That's my my meditation practice. Um, and I do an almost daily gratitude list, even if it's five things or ten things. I, I have a Facebook group 
called 100 Days of Gratitude, All, all Unicorns Welcome. Aww. And so there's people from all over the world who post their daily gratitude lists in there. Uh, so that keeps me accountable to sharing my gratitude, just identifying some things I'm grateful for. And, uh, and writing. Writing is big. Um, phone off, half hour. <laughs> phone off. You got to do it. So if you had one piece of life advice to give someone, what would it be? Trust your innate knowing and develop a relationship with your gut and learn, whether it's the hard way sometimes or the easy way, learn to trust your gut. Even if it doesn't make logical sense, learn how accurate your intuition is. And like we were talking about on this call, develop a relationship with yourself that's one that you're proud to be in. Yeah. You're amazing to talk to. Thank you. Thank you for oh your time. So are you. So, I love talking to you. Yeah, let's do this again. Because yeah. I feel like, by the way, I didn't ask you any of the questions I was ready to ask you, <laughs> just so you know. So I, ha I have a whole other interview prepared whenever you want to do it. Great. Let's do it. Um, but thank you. And everybody, don't forget, he's going to do a personal practice, which is an ener energy centering meditation. So stick around. And thank you for listening. And please, you know, subscribe if you haven't already and leave us a review. It's super, super helpful. And also, we didn't talk about you're doing a workshop with us in May, May 17th. Yes, correct? May 17th. So if you've been loving what you're hearing, make sure you come to that too, because he's incredible. And we want him part of the Den family. Yeah, totally. I would love to meet anyone listening in person at this uh, workshop on May 17th. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh, you're awesome. Now, Shannon's going to lead us in his personal practice, a 10-minute energy-centering meditation to help you find your center through exploring the 360 degrees of directions around your body. Okay, welcome to the energy-centering practice. Find a comfortable seat. You're going to want to be seated for the specific meditation. So you can sit in a chair or on your couch or uh, on a meditation cushion, whatever is most comfortable for you right now. And when you're ready, go ahead and close your eyes and bring your palms to face down on your thighs or your knees. And as you tune your awareness inward, begin to notice the breath. Notice the quality of the inhalation. And notice the quality of the exhalation. Setting the intention to find, to touch on, and to become aware of your center. Where is your center? Imagine you could drop the activity of the mind and the thinking brain down a little bit lower into the body, dropping the awareness, dropping the mind down into the center of your core, your gut. Inhaling to feel the impact of the breathing on your belly and on your core. 
and exhaling to let the spine gently move back towards the spine. Inhaling to feel the belly expand. And exhaling to feel the belly gently move back towards the spine. Imagine a circle of energy around you. And in your own way, draw a golden ring, a circle of golden light around your body three times. And as you complete the third circle of golden light around the body, notice if you can feel the energy of safety, security. You are safe and protected. You are held. And you can be at ease. And gently become aware of the energy and the points of the body that are in contact with the floor. Notice how the ground or your cushion or your chair rises up to meet the pelvis and supports you in sitting securely here. As you inhale, feel the ground rise to support you. And as you exhale, notice if you can release just a little bit more into that support. Imagine the roots of your body, the points that are in contact with the floor, softening and growing deeper into the earth beneath you, grounding you, and connecting you firmly to the space you're in. And from the base of the spine, all the way up the spine, begin to become aware of that natural impulse to lengthen through the spine and upward through the top of your skull. Bring your awareness to the energy, the space, the air above your skull. Tapping into that natural impulse to grow and to evolve and to know higher realms, that which is beyond.
Noticing the breathing as you connect to the space above you. So you are both in your body and aware of the space above your body. And now begin to notice the energy at your back. Notice what's physically, literally behind you. Perhaps you can sense or even feel the energy of your back. Honoring all of the life forms and the life experiences that have led to you from your past here now to this moment as you sit and breathe here. Feeling that your past has your back. That everyone and everything who has come before you supports you, strengthens you, and guides you. Now become aware of the space in front of you, representing the future, all the possibility and potential that lies on the road ahead. Imagine yourself standing on the road here now, grounded in your body, and also able to see into and onto the road, the path. Knowing and trusting that it is from this point of origin that you move forward and you are exactly where you need to be right now. And then inhale, we're going to reach the arms up overhead now and spread your fingers and imagine you're plugging your fingers into all of the air and the space and the sky and the universe, everything that's beyond you and above you. On your next exhale, bring the hands together and bring the hands right to the center of the chest, feeling each finger press against its opposite. Resting the thumbs on the sternum and gently lifting the sternum into the thumbs. Feeling the ground beneath you that holds you, that allows you to be here. Feeling the air and space above you and that natural impulse to grow and to know. Feel the energy at your back. Everything that came before you. And feel the energy at your front, all that lies ahead. Bring your awareness to the right hemisphere of the body, the father, the fire. And bring your awareness to the left hemisphere of the body, the mother, the water. 
and take a deep inhale into all directions, the down and the up, back and the front, the right and the left. And exhale, gently bow your chin to your chest, honoring and acknowledging you at the center point of all of these energetic extremes. May we remember that the peace that we cultivate on the inside is offered outward onto the planet as a unified intention for peace right now. Deep inhale. And full exhale, letting it all go. So be it, and so it is. Namaste. Thank you. Ten Talks is produced by Mike Burns, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, and music is by Alex Fetter. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.